Hi, I'm Rabbi Ira Eben from Congregation O of Shalom, a modern Orthodox synagogue in Merrick, New York. And I'm here with my friend and colleague, Rabbi Howard Goldsmith from Temple Congregation Emmanuel of Westchester, a reform synagogue in Westchester. And this is once again, Sacred Texts Left to Right, or our new format in our podcast format, which is Heathens and Fanatics. And so we have, in this wonderful date on February 7th, 2019, Harshat Truma. We have a wonderful text that we'd like to introduce to you with a greater conversation. Howie, why don't you take us away? Thank you, Ira. So our text today uh, comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verse 8. And it is a, it is a quotation that you very often find inscribed on synagogue walls at the entrances to sanctuaries within synagogues. It is Vasuli Mikdash Kishohanti Bitochan. Let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The me and the I there refers to God. And it's an audacious idea. It's one of the most audacious ideas. How do you take the infinite and put it in the finite? Um, How can you take the master of the universe and contract that master of the universe to fit into a little space made by people? and so the text brings up uh, a boatload of issues, theological questions, um, questions for us to wrestle with, with what is sacred space, which brings it a little bit more to earth. Um, and it brings up some very practical issues. Uh, Ira, you and I next week are both headed to Israel, separate trips, but we'll, we'll be there a little bit at the same time. And both of us will, as part of our trip there, visit the Kotel, the Western Wall. And this is one of the most sacred spaces um, for the Jewish people, and there's some controversy surrounding it. So I'm going to lay out the controversy as I see it, and then we... Well, can... I think, Mifawi, if I could just cut you off, I think Please. we discussed discuss the background just a little bit, recognizing that there are two schools of thought. Um, according to Nachmanides, the Ramban, he writes in his introduction uh, to the uh, book of Exodus that this was the ideal, that the plan from the very beginning was that God would... Um, uh, that we would get out of Egypt, have the Exodus, receive the Torah, and then we would make a temple and God would dwell in this world, and this is the goal of the existence of the world, why the world was created. That's Nachmanides. Many others disagree and say that actually this is not ideal, that this was a response to the sin of the golden calf. Mm. Because of the sin of the golden calf, the people didn't necessarily get the idea that they're not allowed to make a graven image. How do I have a God who I cannot feel, touch, and see? And so um, they built the golden calf, and God responds and say, okay, I hear you. If this is not what you can see as an ideal, so then we'll make a, we'll make a sacred space instead, even though, as Uncle Maishi, who you might not be familiar with, says, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, up, up, down, down right, left, and all around. So my, kid, my kids went to Jewish nursery school, too. I know so you that. know Uncle Maishi. Okay, we'll sing that later after this. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so even though that is as a concept, of course, and that God is not contained anywhere, um, man, in his lim- their limited uh, mankind, in their limited ability to comprehend a, a, a God of, a, a monotheistic God that doesn't feel, cannot, they cannot see or feel, uh, needed something. Man, people need stuff. And so that's where really we start. And that's the debate of the school of thought, um, given that now we're in 2019, the question is, how do we relate to this idea of sacred space? And where do we, where do we draw the line? 
Right, and that line, just to make it super explicit, is the line between where is sacred space a means to an end, and that end being connecting with the divine, and where is that sacred space instead become an end unto itself, in other words, something that becomes idolatrous, where it's simply a stand-in for the golden calf, where people are worshiping the space as opposed to using the space to reach for the divine and to, find, and to seek and find the holy. Right. So I, I think since the beginning of time, there's always been an issue where they have to uh, toe the line of what we call avodah and avodah zarah, between idolatry and service of God. Where am I now serving God and where am I now becoming idolatrous? This has always been an issue. Um, and even there's a reason why um, private, what we call bamot, which were private altars, were prohibited as soon as the temple was built. You can't just go into your backyard and say, oh, I'm going to have an animal sacrifice, which is how they prayed in those days, and, and serve God. Even if I was so moved, that's considered idolatrous because the line was so thin and we had to sort of, uh, you know, toe that line. Um, you had to do it as it's prescribed. Even the Mishkan, the way the tabernacle and the temple was built, had to be done with precision exactly as God described. And there was no room for creativity whatsoever because that's because it's so close to idolatry. So we have the same challenge as you're bringing up with the holy places that we are at today. Maybe you want to expand on that a bit. Yes. So I will never forget the first time that I went to the hotel, to the Western Wall. And I saw people praying there. And at first I was really caught up in it and very moved by it and said my prayers. And then I kind of stepped back from the wall and was watching and looking. And what it, the visceral reaction I had, the feeling I had, is that there were people there, not everybody, but there were a lot of people there that seemed to be praying to the wall instead of to God. And it's, it's something that disturbed me for many years. Um, I, I got very upset by the idea that people would pray to a wall instead of seeking to transcend that wall or using the wall somehow to feel a sense of closeness with the divine that cannot be um, held inside a wall. Um, later, I was uh, somebody described a beautiful idea to me that that instead, standing there, what we can understand is that all of the Jews around the world are facing that point, and that they, all of the prayers, all the spiritual energy of the Jews from around the world kind of travel to that spot before ascending to heaven. And that, that kind of imagery, that kind of notion really helped me out a lot. Um, but I still see, and, this, and I see this in the realpolitik in Israel right now, um, I see that wall becoming idolatrous. Um, and we see it, I, I see it and experience it uh, most strongly in the fact that the wall is ostensibly an Orthodox synagogue. And not only an Orthodox synagogue, but an ultra-Orthodox synagogue. So when I go to Israel with my family, it's, you know, boys have to go to the left and girls have to go to the right. And I'm used to praying with my family. But they're the same problem in the bathroom, by the way. And what? In the bathroom also. Is that in the bathroom also, yes. Yeah. They'll make those distinctions. Yeah, but I'm not sure that we want to make that, make that the analogy between praying and I home. understand, but sometimes boys go to the left, sometimes boys go to the right. <laughs> Girls yeah, the right. okay. We can discuss our share at SAR and other things. Right. <laughs> um, and so for me, it, it ends up, 
it's very it's very difficult. It ends up uh, feeling idolatrous that that it is not a place for um, spirituality. It's not a place for prayer as I know it. Um, but it is a, but instead we are holding up and worshiping a mode of prayer um, rather than using the prayer as a means to an end. Now that being said, before you, yeah, because I see you, before I, before I jump to you, I'm about to, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I've got no problem if there's a men's section, a women's section, and a pluralistic prayer section, because I am in full support of everybody having a, a way and a place to pray that feels comfortable to them. But it is aggravating to say the least that the section that's designated for pluralistic prayer is so separate. It's down a narrow, windy flight of stairs. It is small and insufficient. And it's very clear that the pluralistic prayer section is a second class sort of a place. So let's back up because I think you're talking about two different things that kind of overlap, okay? So the first issue is, is in regards to that, as we talked about, is that feeling of whether or not there's such a thing as sacred space and that where does that, um, where does that begin and end? And the reality is, is there's, you know, you could extend that much further. I mean, there's an idea, even the land of Israel itself, you know, that people come and kiss the land and understanding that the land has sanctity and holiness to it. Where does that, where, where that, uh, where does that distinction come of serving the land versus serving the God of the land? I'll take it one step further. Hasidism, right? Where you have their Rebbe, the Rebbe is on there and their, and the, the sanctity of the Rebbe and the, reverence that they have for that, um, at what point has that crossed the line? You're, you're absolutely right. But there is an idea of sacred space. You recognize just like there's sacred time, there's also sacred space. Uh, uh, there are times that are holier than others. Shabbat is holy. The first thing that God did is he sanctified a body of time, right? We have a sanctified Shabbat, a Kadesh Oto. He, we have times that are holier than others. There are periods of time, even during the day, the tradition tells us, where God is, where it can feel closer to God, like in the afternoon time, it's called an, an eight, uh, a special time uh, in the afternoon to pray to feel closer to God. Vatikin, with the sun, point of sunrise, is a time to pray. So there are times that are holier than others, and therefore there are going to be places that are holier than others. Why? It could be as you described that all of the prayers end up going in that direction and that they sort of, that's the entrance to heaven or that is how God made it. And it could be he made it because that's just what we needed at the time, but that's how God made it, that there is a concept of sacred space. And in the, at the Western Wall, says the Talmud, the Shekhinah never left. And so therefore there's sacred space over there as well as there are at Harabayat, the Temple Mount, as there is if we built a Mikdash Ma'at, a small miniature temple in Westchester or in Merrick, Long Island, right? So there is we have sacred space. The second issue that you bring up, is, as I go into my little dialogue here, is in regards to being uncomfortable in, a, uh, in, this, in this sacred space because of the circumstances. Now, I'm not sure I can make you feel comfortable. Um, we have talked about this earlier. We recognize that being uh, being a rabbi for Jews is uh, sorry. Being being uh, the Jewish people are complex. Would you agree with that, Howie? Uh, yes. Yes, they're complex, and even within your congregation, I'm sure you have wonderful people. You're going to have different levels of observance and different levels of commitment, and therefore, and different ideologies in the world that we live in, the practical world we, we live in. Correct? Of course. Yes. So therefore, uh, the challenge is to be able to find for the Jewish nation, which is not easy, 
where do we find that everybody in theory should be able to be comfortable? What I call the highest common denominator. The government in this challenge, the Israeli government has to say, I mean, when you're going to make an, an Orthodox synagogue at the Western Wall, and that way the Reform can pray in an Orthodox synagogue, the Orthodox can't pray in a Reform synagogue. Why? Why not? That's not that's 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 their that's what they believe in, and so therefore we they found the highest common denominator. And uh, for the sake of Amcha, I recognize that's what's necessary. Okay, so I I disagree. Um, because, really. Well, uh, we can, uh, I can go and pray in an Orthodox synagogue, but, and, and, I, and I've done it, and it's lovely, and it's fine. But when I go to the Kotel, which is a, an inheritance of the Jewish people, um, I want to be able to express Judaism in the way that feels most natural to me. And even more than that, I want to be respected for the way that I want to practice Judaism. And that is not what I experienced there. I'm not saying that the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox Haredi can't pray how they want to, but they ought to let me pray how I want to. Right, so, but well, where do you do that? And I understand that, listen, this is obviously a greater political debate than, and then, you know, what's going on here. Politics in Israel is complicated. Of course. It'll be understood here with two, two rabbis in New York. And I don't want to get into the politics, but I'll, I'll tell you two kind of Jewish notions for me that define it. A sacred space remains sacred when, in a, at the very least, it inspires Derech Eretz, inspires just kind behavior, appropriate behavior towards other people, as opposed to Sinat Chinam. And for me, I see the Kotel more often, um, or maybe not more often, I see the Kotel often inspiring Sinat Chinam. Both ways. I'm not saying that... Um, the reform movement never does provocative things at the Kotel, because I know we do. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that the Orthodox don't behave um, improperly. Right. Uh, so, how, so the question then is, how do we, how do we rise above that? How, right. can we, how can we ensure that a sacred space is promoting, never mind holiness and connection to God and all of those other things for which we strive, but at the very least, just Derek Eretz. Just one another, treating one another nicely. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, and we're going to run out of time. So maybe I'm going to get the last word here. The, the, the Mishnah in Perkei Avot talks about the 10 miracles that happen every single day at the time of the temple. And one of them is, is that when, when they came to the temple, they all showed up on Yom Kippur and everybody in the courtyard, and there was enough space for everyone, and they were able to bow down, uh, and there was somehow a, mirac- a miracle that everyone held, felt comfortable enough and, and safe enough and have enough space, even though mathematically there wouldn't, wasn't enough space for everybody to be there. That was a miracle. And I think that's what we're hoping for and praying for, for in messianic times, or, you know, the Messiah will show up and say, we all have space here, we all fit somehow, some way. And in the meantime, we have a long way to go. Hopefully, we can learn to live with each other in that small, sacred space that's allotted to us at this time. Beautiful. A lovely way to end. Thanks, okay. Howie. Ira, this has been a, a pleasure chatting with you on this week's, uh, this week's session of Heathens and Fanatics. Heathens and Fanatics. Shabbat shalom, Howie. Take care. Shabbat shalom.